Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about summer and sobriety. We're going to be talking about some uh, sex ed. We got, we got a whole lot planned for you. Uh, DMs always open. Uh, drop your questions in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Uh, listen, it is Pride Month. It is June. So uh, we're going to be sprinkling some pride discussions, topics, points of interest uh, kind of throughout the show during the week. I also want to start each show um, this week talking a little bit about ways to prioritize mental health and self-care. Just quick tips. I know we like everything quick and simple and easy. So I'm going to try to open the rest of the week each show just with some of those quick concepts. Just just little reminders. It's, it often feels repetitive. But one of the things I've learned through being an educator and also a therapist um, and also a public figure is repetition is good. Um, sometimes people don't catch on the first time. And more importantly, the more we hear something, the more we internalize it, really build it in and uh, make it make it part of just the new paradigm or mindset that we have. But I just wanted to start by reminding everyone, listen, it's Pride Month. So let's all, if only for the month, which P.S., it's an ongoing thing. The world is not safe for people that are part of the LGBTQIA community, right? We've talked about it. There are tons of laws being passed that are anti. There's also places around the world where you can be murdered and killed so much. Um, So I just want to start by saying, listen, this is a month to celebrate anyone who's part of that umbrella community and even allies. Make sure it is celebratory, right? This shouldn't be a time of exclusion or violence about people from the community, right? It should be about inclusion and support and care. Um, So remember, Pride started out as a protest against violence and stigma, mainly at the hands of the police. And um, we had uh, 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 some uh, uh, events, Stonewall, New York City is the most well-known and prominent. We had a version of that happen in LA at the Black Cat long before Stonewall. Um, But it's not about who got there first, it's about community all trying to push forward. And it was trans sex workers of color that really started the first Pride, which was a protest, pushing back and fighting back and defending self and the community. And now it's more celebratory, but there's still a lot of work to do. And so I wanna remind everyone of those roots and make sure we're being inclusive. This is a time for everyone to feel safe and part of, right? So we gotta look out for the most marginalized and exploited even within the LGBTQIA community. The entire community, right, is a sexual minority, but we also wanna look out for those that have intersecting identities that marginalize them and disempower them even further, right? We are not all at the same place and a lot of us need more support or accommodation. So let's look out for those that tend to still be uh, marginalized or exploited even within the community, at the hands of the community especially, right? So pride needs to be inclusive, not just those that we think are respectable or attractive or acceptable, it's for everyone. Um, we need to work on safety and healthcare for trans members and the gender creative. We need to work on building desirability and access for people that are larger bodied, aging, disabled. We need to hold space for people that are kinky, right? Or femme or butch or relationally diverse. They're poly, they're open. These are all members of the community and they have a right to exist in their totality. It really bummed me out when I heard people trying to say, we don't want to see an expression of kink at the gay pride community. Oh, so at, at Pride, you want to still create exclusion? You still want to marginalize? That is not what that protest was about, especially when you're excluding those that actually started Pride, the people that are sex workers, the people that are of color, the people that are trans. So be very careful. Know your history, right? And then to the allies, and we'll be talking more about this, um, I think on Wednesday's show, more about how to be a good ally. But to the allies, look, this work is needed every single day. Remember that 
um, transphobia, homophobia, all of that is created and maintained by heteronormativity. And so it's therefore the responsibility of the hetero community to challenge and dismantle things, right? And we'll talk about more as to what that is. We're gonna do a deep dive, but just to hit on it quickly, do some research and educate yourself. How can I best use my privilege and power is really the question, right? Also shutting down jokes, advocating for those that are underrepresented within the community, right? Socially, familiarly at your workplace, being aware of how you occupy space when in spaces that are designated specifically for the community, buying pride gear from LGBTQIA owned companies and not just corporate entities that are just cashing in, um, hiring gay and trans employees, and uh, putting people from the community in actual positions of power. And again, we'll break that on down later in the week. I think Wednesday's show, I'm going to do that. And we want to, you know, the world is not safe for everyone. We need to stand up, speak up, and get loud, right? This is a human rights issue. This is a civil rights issue. This is mental health. We all have to be a part of it. So we all have a little piece of that pie that we can work on something. Even if you're a member of the community, you still want to look at access, who's centered, who's included, who's excluded, right? Who would feel safe, who feels left out? All of that matters, right? We keep talking about the gay community. Well, community means what? Cooperation, care, compassion, inclusion, right? So we wanna look at who we bringing in, who we leaving out, what work do we have to do? We all have a couple threads and, and ways that we can step into that. So I wanna challenge us all to really start to begin to do so. Um, so much work to do, right? Being part of that community means uh, spending your adult life undoing the trauma, right? Born out of being someone um, in the margins in this culture. So when we come back, though, we'll be talking about sobriety in relationship to summer. So much to say about that. And then uh, later in the show, we'll be doing a little sex ed. So if you got a DM for us, though, as always, drop it in our DMs. We'll be gliding into those courtesy of Astroglide. Um, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris. Love Line is brought to you by Astroglide. Personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. Stick around. We'll be back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back and we're talking about summer and sobriety. There's a lot of people getting sober. We just came out of a, you know, well, we just came out of, we're still in. Let me just remind everyone, we're still in a pandemic. I want everyone to know that. Just because we have high numbers of vaccinations, just because um, we're not necessarily having to wear masks, doesn't mean it's safe to uh, take your masks off. So you will see me wearing my mask for a long time and not going around crowds for at least, at least most of the summer. Um, but sobriety, you know, we, we were talking last week on the show about the increase in drug and alcohol use and addiction. And I was talking about all the different programs available. So let me just recap that. Uh, there's so many online resources available for those that don't want total sobriety. There are a lot of harm reduction programs for those that aren't a fan of AA, which tends to be the gold standard for whatever reason. You don't like the talk around disempowerment or always labeling as an addict, or you still want to use cannabis or something like that, or you want to drink but not use drugs, right? Or you don't want to drink, but you want to use cannabis. Whatever your deal is, there's so many programs out there. Uh, some of them rooted in sexual orientation and gender. Just take a little time, do a little research, many, many different ways to get to the path of mental health, which is what the goal is really about. For some, again, that will be total abstinence. For others, it'll just be abstinence from certain things. And for others, it'll just be about reducing the harm around their use. And that's cool too, right? Um, but I want to just give a little support to those that are new to sobriety or circling back. It's a little rough in the beginning. You're literally changing a lot. Not only are you needing to learn new coping mechanisms, because again, the work isn't about removing drugs and alcohol and just sitting there staring at the wall. We're still out of joy. We're still out of fun. We're still out of coping mechanisms. We're still out of find things to use to check out, right? Um, 
life doesn't have to get boring, but I do realize that a lot of our identity is tied into maybe our friend group or where we socialize. And if you're sober and your friends are still into bars, clubs, circuit parties, whatever it might be, or they think alcohol has to be a part of everything, uh, you might be feeling left out or you might be moving away from that friend base. So let me first talk to the friends that are still drinking. If you know a friend is struggling with their drinking or drug use and is trying to reduce or go completely sober, please, 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 you have no idea how much it will mean to them if you still invite them to things. Um, it will mean so much to them if you still, do, if you try to create some non-drinking spaces. Not every game night needs to be a kegger. Um, it will mean a lot to your f sober friend if, like I said, you still invite them, if you do things that are not always alcohol related, um, and if you still let them know that you're a part of their life. Because that's sometimes one of the bigger anxieties and also some of the bigger downsides is all of a sudden this person is very lonely, their social world has shrank, their friends aren't reaching out. Because when someone gets sober, sometimes it makes the rest of the group have to really look at their drinking and drugging. Um, I stopped drinking, I'm a non-drinker, drinking was never something that really worked well in my life and it changed my entire world. I have different friends now. I'm no longer spending time around my friends that think alcohol needs to be a part of everything. It's exhausting, I'm too old for that. My career doesn't allow for that, but neither does my mental or social health. And for me, and I've talked about this before, um, I don't enjoy bars and clubs. They're dark, they're loud, they're crowded. They don't have the ethics and values that are important to me. The kinds of people I like to talk to tend to not be there and the conversations I like to have are not being had. But I'm, I'm able to access other people and things, but not everyone does. And so please, if your friend is struggling with their drug and alcohol or sobriety, still be there for them. Um, please don't step into, well, we lost that one because that is the biggest concern. Now to those getting sober, um, you do need some sober friends. You really do. Uh, we need community with whatever identity we're a part of. Um, I, I realized that early on. If I was going to not drink, I needed non-drinking friends. If I was going to be vegan and plant-based, I would need some vegan and plant-based friends. If I was going to get into academics and philosophy, I would need some friends that could speak to me around the things I'm reading and thinking as well. It's really important for our self-worth and self-esteem, aka our mental health, to have important parts of who we are and our identity reflected back to us by those around us, to feel seen, to feel heard. There's nothing more lonely than being with people who can't reflect back who you really are because of what they're talking about, because of what they're not talking about, right? We need important parts of ourselves engaged. Sometimes we can only do that via a podcast or a book. For a long time, I, you know, the people I valued the most were authors who I did not know personally, but I'd read their books. And that's how I'd spend time with them or the music I was listening to. So try to build a world or a community, even if it's online only, for people that live in the world you live in. If you're going to get sober or harm reduction or whatever it is, you're going to need some friends that are in that. If you're stepping into feminism, you're going to need some feminist friends. If you're exploring queerness, you're going to need some queer friends. If you're exploring gayness, you're going to need some gay friends. We're going to need that reflected back. Um, a couple other things to think about. Um, you also, as the newly sober person, maybe you want to try planning some non-alcohol, non-drug-based things. Maybe you get the group together. Hey, guys, planning a big game night. It's not going to be drug or alcohol-based, but y'all can go hit the bars after um, or plan hiking, a beach day. Or maybe you do need, if you're sober in a way that feels stable, maybe you can handle being around there drinking and using. Maybe you bring what they call like a sober buddy. Bring another sober friend. They've got your back. You've got their back. You feel cool. Um, but don't assume, don't make assumptions, still invite them, still try to be invited, still try to plan things, uh, bring non-alcoholic things. It feels really great to have something in your hand so you feel like you're participating. Also, drinkers, it feels good to the non-drinkers if when you invite them to your dinner party or party, if you have non-alcoholic beverages. Just like as someone who's plant-based, it means a lot. and feels very loving and respectful if I go to someone's party, wedding, dinner party, event, or whatever, and they have vegan options. Not everyone in the world drinks. Not everyone in the world eats meat and dairy and animals. Like, wake up, catch up. It's called love. It's called care. It's called respect when we honor what's important to the people around us that we care about, right? So please, drinkers, be less self-centered. I'm not saying you are, but some of you can be. Think about your sober friends. Still invite them in. Create sober spaces. Have sober options for them. Sober people, still reach out to your drinking friends. They're still, you know, they don't drink every day, all day around the clock. And if they do, get rid of them, but some of them don't. And so you can still go see a movie with them on a Sunday. You can still have them over for a game night. You can still meet them for a dinner. Please don't make someone's total identity drinking or non-drinking base. Everyone's more than that. And if they're not, then you're not a match anymore as friends or lovers. But for a lot of people, they are more than that. So try to remember that. Try to tap back into that. It'll mean a lot to everyone. That's the biggest part about getting sober is all of those shifts start changing 
it's massive. All right, we're gonna take a little break and when we come back, we're gonna talk about microaggressions, how to call them out. Why? Because we all need to. We all need to. What's going on with someone else, even if we don't know them, is our business. It's our business. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, I was going to not not cover this. Uh, microaggressions, they are subtle, everyday interactions, statements, ideas that are a bias towards a marginalized group. And they're usually disguised. That's why they're called micro microaggressions. A macroaggression is a very obvious, overt act of homophobia, sexism, racism, whatever. Microaggressions are those smaller ones. Doesn't mean they're acceptable, just means they're tiny, meaning easily not acknowledged, or everyone's like, hmm, wait a minute, that felt off. So please don't think micro means okay. Please don't think micro means has less of a impact. It can be even more impactful because it's allowed to perpetuate and sustain itself for a long time. It's those little comments, those little jokes. Look, we gotta shut them all down. You don't even have to say much more than just call it out. Someone says something homophobic, just say homophobia, that was homophobic, or that was sexist. And, 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 you know, we gotta, we gotta help those around us really reorient because oftentimes they're not sexist or homophobic as a person. They're just parroting and repeating what they've heard. And no one, not everyone has critical skills to really unpack and be like, oh my God, I didn't realize that that was classist or I never realized that that was body shaming. We need people that care about us to help call things out. Now, I don't want to use the word call out. I want to use the word call in. We're calling them in. We're not, we're not putting it on social media. We're not putting them on blast. We're not embarrassing them. We're calling them in, which means a loving, hey, just wanted to point out, you made this comment? That's actually really homophobic. you know. Or you send them a little DM. Hey, I noticed you put that picture up. That's, that's actually racist. You, you should take that down. Here's why. Calling out is the embarrassing public loud. You don't need to do that. That's actually very dramatic at times. Sometimes it's not. Speak truth to power. It's a big organization or someone you don't have direct access to. I get it. I get it. We got to do what we got to do. We all have to be social justice warriors. We really do. White people, racism's on us to end it. Straight people, homophobia is, is to be ended by y'all. Um, cis people, we got to end transphobia, right? Like, Smaller, smaller bodied people, we're responsible for ending fat phobia because we've perpetuated these systems, not the communities that are oppressed and, 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 and attacked by them. They certainly didn't. It shouldn't be on them, right? So how do we shut down microaggressions around us? Well, the first thing is understanding that you are responsible. You are responsible for anything you see or hear that is unjust. It doesn't matter if you know the person. And that's why I love that stupid 2020 show, What Would You Do? You see people actually caring about what's happening around them. You need to speak up. Yes, please. Always. So what's the first thing you need to do? Know that it is your job. <laughs> so plan ahead. What are you going to say if it happens? Practice it. Figure out what you'd say. Figure out the languaging. Tell your approach to the situation. It can take lots of, it can be different. It can be a joke. It can be a comment. It can be a post. All my friends have had me reach out lovingly saying, hey, you put that post up the other day. Here, here's who might be oppressed by that or here's who might feel bad about that. I give them the chance to figure it out, right? Speak for yourself. Don't presume that other people are offended. You can speak up on others and speak for yourself. You don't need everyone around you to agree, right? Target the behavior, not the person. I love that. It's the behavior that's wrong. Sometimes it's the person as well, but usually it's the behavior because sometimes good people without understanding, without having critical a critical lens on what they're saying or doing might step into something wrong, bad, or problematic. Not everyone's aware. The worst are the ones that are and don't care, but not everyone's aware. I still have learning to do. I'm constantly still learning words, phrases, concepts that I'm familiar with and was raised with that we used in songs, textbooks, class, movies. Now that I realize, oh my God, that's not okay. I was just talking to a friend yesterday about cultural appropriation and how if we're going to buy the artifacts of someone's culture, buy it from people from that culture. Don't buy it from someone who's making money off of someone else's religion or art or whatever it is, right? It's really important stuff. Consider circling back because you want this person to really grow and learn. Just screaming in someone's face or shouting or, or canceling them doesn't create change or transformation. That's actually often very violent, Right? I'm okay with some forms of cancel culture. Like if you do things, it's okay for an organization or someone else associated with you to say, I don't want an association with you. That's called just accountability. It's called, you know, consequences, right? Um, but I don't think we always need to go as far as putting someone on blast. I think sometimes this can be a very important personal educational moment. Circle back. Sometimes, 
educational support, you know, send them resources. Hey, here's where you can learn more about why that's problematic, or here's where you can learn more about other ways to tackle that in the future. Here's where you can learn more about why that's oppressive or has a, you know, ra racist history. Cause not everyone understands the history of things. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't raised understanding the racist history of the Confederate flag. It was just something that was really casually referenced. I had to learn about that. Right. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so, I can't even think of it. So many things along the way that I had to be educated on. Cultural appropriation was another one. I was raised as a white person um, purchasing artifacts from white people that were really stolen from um, other cultures, often, you know, indigenous. It's a mess. Um, it was a really big conversation. I actually wish I'd gotten it on tape, but um, Point being, we all are responsible. We can lovingly hold those us around us accountable. We can talk about the behavior and not the person. We can educate them. We can circle back. We can provide some resources. But for the targeted uh, population itself, y'all are not responsible for educating us or the person, right? Um, I want... I don't want black people to have to educate white people. White people, we should be educating each other, right? Gay people should not have to educate straight people. Straight people, y'all got to get each other together and handle it. You know what I mean? We've talked about that. Um, okay, we're going to take a little break. And uh, when we come back, y'all, we are going to be, guess what? Gliding into those DMs. That's right. So uh, stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. All right, now it's time to glide into those DMs, brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, someone I know has been coping with their difficult emotions by watching porn. They're beginning, uh, they're beginning to this, uh, I don't really understand that transition, but let me just try to <laughs> translate this. Uh, it's problematic. It's beginning to get problematic. That's my interpretation of what this says because they rely on it more than healthier coping mechanisms like reaching out to others or their inner self. Oh, yes, the inner self. Um, uh, sorry, I keep losing my track of reading this. Da, 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 da. Okay, how can they navigate this situation uh, to shift towards more sustainable coping mechanisms? Um, well, there's a lot of assumptions in your, in your, in your question. Uh, porn... Um, masturbation, solo sexuality, uh, yoga, meditation, breathing, reading. These are all right brain activities. These are all ways to soothe our nervous system. One of them, none of them are healthier than the other. The, where health really comes in with coping mechanisms is about whether or not they have a negative impact on you. Um, having a rough day and watching porn doesn't have a negative impact on you. It's a time of joy, pleasure, release. We're allowed to use food and, and masturbation or sex as coping mechanisms. Our culture hates that because we're fat phobic, we're sex phobic, but you're allowed, if you're allowed to read a book, call a friend, see a movie, go shopping with your mom, you're allowed to pleasure your body and you're allowed to also pleasure your mouth with a donut. The problem around coping mechanisms is when we only have one. So I won't agree that your friend might need healthier ones because there's nothing wrong with sex as a way to self-soothe or to cope. There isn't. Um, the problem is if that's the only one they have. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a problem because some people rely on the same ones over and over. Most of us do. Most of us have the same one to three coping mechanisms. If it has a, if it works, then it works and it's good. If it makes them feel better, well, then have at it. Um, if it doesn't make them feel good, then that's when the conversation comes in. Um, it sounds like you're uncomfortable with them watching porn. Why? What comes up for you? What scares you about that? Um, whether they go in their room for you know half an hour to again nap, listen to music, take a bath, pleasure their body, read, reorganize, clean out their closet. If they come out with a smile on their face, well, then they coped effectively. We have to remove making sex uh, a suspect all the time right? It's an appropriate coping mechanism. Same thing with food. But if your friend said to you, hey, I think I sometimes want to have access to something else, then you can say to them, call me. I, I, you can speak for yourself. I prefer knowing that people use reaching out to others, but that's not always better. And that's not always available. And that's not always what everyone needs, right? We want to be very thoughtful about the judgments we put on someone's coping because often people are doing the best they can. This also comes into harm reduction. Some people are still relying on drugs and alcohol as a way to cope. And for them, it's about maybe improvement, drinking a little bit less, going a day or two a week without using, and that's improvement for them. We have to be very sensitive. Um, so 
again, if the individual using porn was reaching out saying they want other ways to cope as well, I would love that and lean in. But right now, all I'm hearing is that you're not comfortable with the idea that they do this and you need to get comfortable. Sex is what they choose to use and it maybe works. Do you feel left out? Do you uh, want to be more brought into their life? I mean, you have to really process that, but um, you're being a good friend. Let them know, hey, uh, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. If you ever want to go run around and get distracted, I'm here. If you ever want to watch a movie, I'm here. Um, again, sex isn't always going to be accessible, so I appreciate that if every time you have a difficult emotion that you're coping with, you can't always turn to sex, but nor can you always turn to a bath, nor can you always turn to a friend. So that's why we need a wealth of coping mechanisms because sometimes we're on our own. Sometimes people aren't available, right? And so I always say things like breathing. Breathing is one of the most available, accessible ways to soothe our mind, to soothe our nervous system, to bring us back into the moment and into our body, right? Um, I also like movement. Movement's a really good one. Shake off and discharge that excess energy. So if people are having anxiety, I tell them often, go for a walk, go for a run. For some though, that pushes them into hyper arousal and it overwhelms. So it's really about figuring out, do you need to slow down and calm down or do you need to discharge by doing a lot of movement and activity, right? So it's gonna be person by person, but I, I love this question. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna be doing some, uh, some sex ed. Yep, we all need it. <laughs> we all need it badly, as per this question. Um, and uh, DMs, always open. If you got a question for us, drop it in the DMs. And past episodes of Loveline, check us out over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. Stick around. We'll be back. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back and uh, interesting stuff. Um, gonna do a little bit of a, kind of some sex ed. It's kind of a little bit of a grab bag topic, but this is born out of me seeing this really interesting article over at a school called the Dalton School. I'm not familiar with where that school is located. Not really relevant. This isn't a new show, but uh, it's topical. And I think something came out of that. So this this school, it's a very wealthy prep school. Um, uh, grade school maybe also a high school, but the grade school component was in the news. And that's because they hired a, um, essentially someone to handle health and wellness. And it's someone who was trying to do comprehensive sex education and uh, was really in an age appropriate way, but very boldly talking to students about all the things that they in their age bracket would encounter out in the world. Parents got upset, as they do, because this individual, age appropriately, was talking to them about how to deal with encountering porn. What happens when you see porn? What do we need to know about porn? Children, as soon as they have access to a phone or the internet, are stumbling upon that. Porn literacy is something we've talked about, a heavy importance. And the younger we can, talking to children about how to understand encountering things, things that especially aren't for them, right? Porn is not made for children, it's made for adults. Uh, but like everything else in the world, children will encounter movies that aren't age appropriate, songs and song lyrics, uh, conversations via what maybe you might discuss around the house or other friends or things on television. Porn's one of them. You know, the internet, gosh, when I was a kid, <laughs> we didn't encounter really anything. I think it was every now and then a Playboy um, that had to get stolen and hidden, right? Stolen from a parent, I guess maybe even a magazine store, I don't even know. Um, but with the internet, the game's different. So... Anyway, parents got upset. Uh, I think it's an interesting concept. I, I, I think maybe parents should have been prepped a little bit more so that they themselves were made to feel comfortable and could continue educating their children. But I do think that parents are severely out of touch with what their kids are engaging in, talking about, learning about. And so I do think there's work on both sides, but I thought it was so fascinating. Um, looking at the quotes, you know, Children aren't harmed with education. Children aren't harmed with having language and, 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 and empa being empowered by having language. Children aren't harmed um, by having critical thinking skills, you know? Um, they're harmed when they encounter things that they weren't prepared for. And I've talked about this on the show where magically we think that when someone becomes of age and they start stepping into, you know, sexuality or relationality, dating, romance, we magically think that they're just gonna know or they're gonna figure it out. Um, because we somehow just think that it's inborn, it's innate, it's natural. No, it's not. Sex is not natural at all. There's nothing natural at all about the way we have sex. The only, only people doing it naturally are, are, are uh, animals. 
there's nothing social. I mean, excuse me. There's nothing uh, uh, natural about the way we're sexual as humans. It's completely socialized. It's different from culture to culture. It's different from time period to time period. It's different from gender to gender. It's different from race to race. It's different from class to class. Um, it's wild when you look at it through history, through different geographical locations. We in America approach sex from a far more anxious and fear-based and elementary place. Parents are as fear-based and as elementary in their own understanding as their kids. One of the most important things and powerful things I do as a sex therapist when I'm clinically working in that capacity, even a marital sexual therapist doing marital relational therapy, is to always start giving these individuals in front of me essentially more and new adult sex education because of what they missed out on. I'm working with adults that still think when someone says, did you have sex? They mean penetration. My God, we're still reminding people that sex is more than just penetration. I'm still working with adults that believe that if their penis isn't working the way they want, that they have an erectile dysfunction versus no, it's called natural variability in penile functioning. You might have penile or erectile disappointment, but your penis is going to come and go in terms of its erectile functioning. It's not gonna perform on demand. Your, your penis is not a dildo. Your penis is not a sex toy. So it's no wonder <laughs> that kids have less of an understanding. And that's kind of what we're gonna spend the rest of the show talking about is, you know, what would the better sex ed be? I'm actually gonna give it to you in some ways. But we're also gonna talk about the fact that very little is natural. Our culture is so rooted in socializations, right? Respectability politics. We police the margins and we don't really legitimize or value anything outside the, the norm, even though none of us actually live within that norm, which is another thing we'll talk about. So it's really profound and interesting. Um, this topic never gets old. It's something I could talk about endlessly. And thank God, because that's essentially what my job winds up being when I do media or I'm writing or I'm educating in the training program within which I'm a lecturer. So it's kind of just how it goes. So um, stick around. I'm going to grow y'all up. Y'all are going to grow up a little bit uh, psychologically and sexually. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about sex and its naturalness. We're going to talk about sexual development. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some different discourses on sex. Don't be afraid of those big words. It's some basic, interesting stuff. Um, as always, though, if you want to check out past episodes of Love Line, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down, look for my face, click on it, and uh, bam, blam, there I am. I actually get it. I like saying that. And then... Then we'll be gliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in uh, the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Always open, always confidential, always anonymous. Whatever you're wondering about, we're here to answer it for you. Whatever you're struggling with, someone else might be too. So uh, drop it in there. I think a lot of learning kind of comes out of that. Uh, but we'll be back. So stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline's brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be back. All right, we're back. And... Uh... Gosh, I was telling a story about how I was looking at this article about this sex ed teacher, and that's not really the official title. I can't remember her total title was, but it had to do with health and wellness, and essentially they brought her in to really, I think it also involved some element of critical race theory, which is so important to talk about. Um, anyway, she got in a lot of heat because parents weren't really supportive or prepared for the kind of programming that she brought forward. I thought it was super awesome um parents weren't ready and so i was thinking like wow this is something to keep talking about we still don't really have a lot of comfort around some of these different pieces and i was just trying to say that what we can't do is rely upon um what we think is innate biologically driven or just something someone's going to grow into and understand and uh that doesn't work with psychology that doesn't work with, with relationality doesn't work with sexuality these are all things we have to learn skills around um gosh, it's the rare person who really has it down. And uh, sex is also one of those things. It's so fascinating um, when I continue to look at the research because the research really, really tells a, a, a wild story. But before I get to that, I want to get back to the whole sex is not natural thing. What I meant by that is the way we do it, where we do it, how we do it, how we feel about it, the parts of our bodies we let get touched, the things we'll do, all of that uh, is socially created right? Those are social constructs. And those are all impacted and created by place, history, time, race, gender, things going on in our culture. We're never responding to sex naturally or even 
neutrally. There's so much baggage that we have to wade through, right? Um, and we're all socialized as to how we will view, how we will view sexuality and relationships, what our goals will be, our dreams, our vision for it. That's given to us. We are given, we're given that every day based on social media and the media we watch and our parents, right? Our perspectives and our goals are not ours. In fact, I think the healthy work of being an adult is really digging through that and saying like, how much of what I was given and socialized with do I want to honor? How much of it do I not want to honor? How much of it do I want to leave behind? There's something really important and powerful in that. Um, I think it's bad that we just move through the world unconsciously. Why do you have the goals you have? Let's not assume that getting married, being monogamous, having kids, having a home is all the best thing for you. A lot of people are now realizing home ownership is not the best idea for a lot of people. Um, not every, a lot of women are finally come forward. We've talked about this on the show. A lot of celebrities saying, not only do we not ever want to get married, we also don't want kids and that's okay. The goal of a relationship or the goal of a marriage isn't kids, it's companionship. You know, kids are for the right kinds of people. And I think it's really healthy. When I was looking through some of those quotes, some of the uh, celebrities that were saying like, it's not for me. I don't have the right temperament. I don't have the right personality or I don't want my life centered around raising a child. I, I love those that want kids. I love those that don't. Uh, I think it's important to normalize that. But again, just know that we are provided culturally sanctioned models for how to behave around sex and relationships. It's called um, heteronormativity. Even the gay community has adopted. Don't, I mean, it's not just coincidence that the gay community follows a lot of the straight community's norms and values around relationships. Date, then become monogamous, then move in, then buy a home, maybe have kids. None of that, that's all conformity. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but I'm saying that that is conformity and assimilation into that normative um, project, projection or linear process. And often what's really valuable in these um, outlier communities is that they've created their own scripts and their own norms. And I think that, you know, gays or straights, um, I hate using that word gays, it just sounds so othering. Um, people from the LGBTQA community, people from the hetero community, um, it would serve them all to say, why do I set the goals I set? Whose goals are those? Are they really mine? Are they ones I really want? Do they really make me happy, right? Um, we're allowed to replace paradigms with new ones. In fact, we constantly are doing that. Things do get shifted and upgraded. We're seeing things like that WAP song um, and Lizzo, people that are sex positive, body positive, and, and a female of color. Females of color, I should pluralize it, doing sex positive, body positive things is such a radical revolutionary thing because that's a community that traditionally was not really um, seen or allowed to have that kind of power or desire um, or, or agency over self and body. It's such a stunning thing. But I guess the takeaway I want you to, to really leave this segment with is why do I believe what I believe? Why am I going along the path I'm going along? Again, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means stop and ask yourself, is that right for you? It's okay to live differently. It's okay like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and that girl from the Big Bang whose name I can never get right, Kelly, something with a C. Um, they all decided at some point to live, to be together but live apart. I think there's something beautiful in that where not everyone wants to cohabitate, right? We can create our own values and norms, right? Nothing's natural anyway. And the natural way just means that's the way everyone's done it. And usually it's not even for healthy relational reasons. It's usually for finances. Most things go back to financial reasons, even things that you would never think like monogamy and marriage. They are tied back to finance and ownership. People wanted to keep their money in their family. People were being also classist and elitist and they wanted to not have their quote unquote family name or their or their blood diluted with what they thought weren't worthy other people. You know what I mean? They wanted to have an heir to their to their finances and their legacy. I mean, it was very patriarchal. It was absolutely not about love. We're finally now moving into love. And yet we often hear people talk about relationships in a way that's the antithesis of love, where they're talking in terms of money and what they have and what their body looks like. And it's like, we still aren't dating and relationshiping only exclusively for and from a place of love when we're talking that way. That's ego. You know, that's still materialism. Might not be a watch or a car, but it's still body material. Anywho, I'm rambling, but my point is, is we need more consciousness around why we're doing what we're doing. Because I just want people to remember, just because you're doing it differently doesn't mean that's bad or wrong. In fact, in our culture, doing things differently is often a sign of mental health because it's authentic, it's honest, it's liberated. And if you're, you know, a person of color or a queer person or someone who's, you know, a gender renegade, um, it's, it's mandatory, you know, and there's something beautiful in learning from these other populations, which I'm always bringing that information in. So, you know, what we, you know, what can monogamy learn from polyamory? What can heterosexuality learn from homosexuality? 
um, so many important, interesting studies that I will be sharing with you down the road. Um, okay, we got to take a little break, a little breaky break. When we come back, though, we're going to talk about um, sexual development and different kind of sexual families we can be in. So what does that mean? It means you're either the product of, you are someone who's currently creating because you have maybe kids, or you're kind of somewhere in the middle, and maybe you're about to start a family and want to have a better understanding. So stick around. We're going to talk about that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, God, we're talking about a lot of different things, but it's basically a crash course in sex born out of uh, all the things that my topics are born out of. A really powerful art, uh, article I read or an argument I had or some bad advice I see given out by experts or even something timely in the news. Told you a story about a um, critical theorist sex educator brought into a really bougie school. Parents lost their damn minds when they saw that uh, they were actually talking openly about sexuality because that's what education is, right? Full discussion of things. Um, that was really powerful. So let's just kind of dig in deep a little bit. So uh, look, we're all a product of something like we were talking about. Sex is not natural. It's not innate at all. What we express, how we express it, where we express it, that's all socialization. Those limits are all cultural. They're gendered. Like, think about that. Whatever your race is, your class, your gender, all of that's fused into what kind of sex you have, what kind of partner you choose to have it with, who you tell, how you talk about it, what part of your body you touch, what part of their body they touch, all of those things. It's all woven in there. None of it's natural. None of it's clean or pure. And that's why there's a beauty in that, though, in the fluidity and the flexibility and the plasticity. We can challenge. We can push on those boundaries. We can evolve and grow. We can expand. We need to do that. We need to start finding desire for all different kinds of bodies, disabled bodies, fat bodies, queer bodies, right? I love that we're in a time and place where we're starting to um, really allow body truth, right? Um, but we come from these families. Families are negative or anxious or even traumatic, or maybe they're even sex positive, and those are really important things because the early environment that we're raised in is, is kind of our foundation. It's, it's essentially part of what we're, what we're gonna take forward. And more importantly though, it's also what we're gonna be spending our adulthood undoing. Like really sit with that. Parents and educators and friends, you're like strengthening problematic things and, and maintaining toxicity or undoing it. And parents and schools, you're at the beginning of that as well. You get to be a part of setting people up to be confident and empowered or um, not confident and disempowered. You know, if you're talking to a classroom, there might be some gay or trans people in there, people that are non-binary. They, they have worth and value. They have a right to be acknowledged. Yes, in sex ed or talking about relationships, whether you agree with it or not, you need to reference reality, which is sometimes a man's with a man, sometimes a woman's with a woman or two women. There's polyamorous families. It doesn't matter what you think or believe or how healthy you think something is. We need to talk about the reality within which we live, right? Like, we have no problem talking to our kids about not climbing to the car with a stranger. We're not promoting kidnapping, but yet we know kidnapping exists and you want your kids to be aware of that, to understand how to discuss it. Educating someone or giving them tools or skills or boundaries isn't to promote anything. It's okay to promote those things, gayness, transness, gender fluidity, et cetera, et cetera. But bigger than that is we still know that these things are real. You can't discuss the value of, uh, of, of reality in that way, right? Um, so we have sex negative families where they talk about sex as though it's just bad. We have sexually anxious families. Eh, it's not so much that they talk about it like it's bad, it's just they're more anxious and insecure and they use the wrong words and they're not really comfortable answering questions honestly. They kind of brush it off. Sexually traumatic families are families that have sexual abuse or they're a little too sexualized. And then sex positive families are that rare, rare, rare bird of a family, very rare, where it's calm, it's open, it's confident, it's diverse, it's empowered, it's... I'm gonna arm you with languaging tools and skills and you're gonna flourish and evolve into the person you are. Sex positive families talk about your sexual debut, that exciting time when you ride your bike for the first time, you know, travel alone for the first time, have sex for the first time. These are all really exciting experiences. We don't use words like virginity as though you've crossed over some bad or negative threshold, right? We're talking about your sexual debut. You've finally hit a important milestone, right? So it's all, it's all in the languaging and the perspectives, but we all have work to do and the work we've done or haven't done gets perpetuated, right? Even if you're an adult with another adult without kids, maybe you're like, that's not a relevant topic to me, but it is because your partner's mental health and sexual health is also impacted by how you approach sex and their sexuality. We're feedback loops and all the different relationships we're in and we're a part of, we're feedback loops. It's never just isolated, right? The boundaries aren't that firm where we're not impacted by those around us. 
It's a darn feedback loop. And when we look at, when we compare cultures, and one of the easiest ones is the American culture versus maybe the Dutch culture. Um, Americans problematize sex. Dutch cultures normalize it. You know, in America, it's something to avoid as, as long as possible. It's something that we want you to delay having. And in, in, in the Dutch culture, they're like, you're going to have it. It's exciting to have it. Let's talk about what you need to know for when you do. America, sex is a problem to be prevented. In the Dutch culture, it's a normal part of maturation. In America, we think it's hormone-based. Oh, they're hormonal. Hormon hormonal. In Dutch culture, sex is just normal. It's a, it's a relational thing. You know what I mean? People have crushes. They fall in love. Here we think it's a battle of the sexes. I love when I hear that word, battle of the sexes. That's actually part of rape culture. This idea that it's an opposite sex, another sex, uh, something to battle, something we don't understand. There's so much commonality between all the sexes and yet many distinctions. But there are these false, this false binary category that we try to like squeeze everyone into and actors that we don't understand. Um, and also here in America, a lot of sex ed and the way we talk about sex is about parental regulation of their own anxiety. You know what I mean? It's not about the kids. It's about what parents need to feel safe and comfortable. Um, DMs coming up next. We're going to glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in uh, our DMs on our Loveline IG page. And past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Stick around, though. Come back. We'll be gliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back. And now it's time to glide into the DMs. As always, brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the DMs. Right, this DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've come to a realization that my partner thrives in anger. That's an interesting way to frame it. I haven't heard that. Thrives in anger. So their life is made better via their use of anger. They are empowered. Their mental health feels better. They're more connected to themselves, to the world. Interesting. They pick fights on purpose. Okay, well, this isn't someone who thrives in anger. This is someone who maybe overly relies on anger, only feels as though they have access to anger. This is someone who maybe only feels empowered within anger, right? So the question already for me would be, what happens when they stay soft or still? What happens when they lower their voice? What happens when they connect instead? Anger is never connecting. No healthy individual can stay connected when they're on the receiving end of anger or aggression. It's not relational. That's why I tell people when you're dealing with frustration, always, always make sure you express it relationally in a way that allows them to stay connected, in a way that creates a safe space for them to connect, right? Um, that's a really important part of this. So um, they're not thriving in anger. So let's, I wanna make sure we're re-narrating um, that concept. Uh, sometimes they admit that the, what they're doing is wrong. Okay, so again, not thriving. 
but other times they don't. And I think that's because a lot of people, I don't know what, uh, how this person was socialized gender wise, but people that are diagnosed as male at birth and socialized in maleness um, are often not given access to soothing practices or softness, right? We know this. Kid, male babies are treated differently. They're treated rougher. They're told, get up, you're fine. Go, go back and play, right? They play in sports where they're constantly competing and tackling, right? Where people that are diagnosed female at birth are soothed more. They play games where they're face-to-face -face looking at each other, engaging. It's very relational. And so, you know, and then toxic masculinity shows up where both men and women socialize men to feel as though they always have to be tough and guarded. Oh, there's a scary sound. You have a penis. You go downstairs and find out what's happening down there. It's like, wait, what? I'm sorry, what? Um, so that's in there. Um, you're a very calm person, you said, and they don't get the reaction they want, which makes them even more upset. Ah, good. I'm glad you're not meeting them where they're at. You're staying calm and grounded and soothed. Uh, you say, I really do love them, but I feel like I'm coming to my limit as to how much confrontation I can take from them. That's a healthy thing. Good. I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you're saying I can't be on the receiving end of this and I won't. And I need you, you're saying, to work on it. And here's your question. Are there, I'm sorry I'm narrating this with you so much. It's just where my mind's at today. Are there any ways I can talk to him about this without causing another argument? See, there it is. Um, I use this word loosely, but you're afraid of them. You're afraid of having any kind of honest, vulnerable, intimate conversation because anger tends to be the only way that they can engage. And they don't thrive in it, right? Your relationship isn't and you're not. Um, and so I, I really want you to just acknowledge that for a second. I don't even feel like I can safely talk to my partner and say, hey, sometimes the way you respond, the anger is very scary or overwhelming or toxic for me. That's not a good sign. And maybe there's too much triggers. I, I don't know that you are the person that can maybe talk to them in a calm way. I don't know the basis of your relationship. Sometimes we are so overwhelmed or triggered that we can't calm ourselves down enough to have certain conversations with certain people. So we, that needs to be explored. But the best way you do it is, you, I hate framing it this way, but you kind of get their consent, their commitment, their permission to, to stay calm. And you say to them, hey, I need to have a difficult conversation with you. Uh, is now a time? And if not, can you tell me when would be a good time when we can commit to staying engaged in this conversation very lovingly? Um, and if that doesn't go well, it's time for couples therapy. You probably need a third party to help manage that. Um, and then sometimes you have to let them know the truth, even while angry. Um, if anger continues, I have to exit this relationship because my mental health matters and this is bad for my mental health. And then your partner will essentially have to um, make that tough decision. Not everyone is able to help their partner work through mental health stuff. Sometimes we need a break. Sometimes we need to leave. That might need to be done, right? Hey, I need to take a pause on this relationship until the anger improves. And you kind of take it away from them to be involved in that. You kind of decide. This is a tough question. Um, because I don't, I need more information, but bigger than that, I can't say that there's a way to have that go the way you want. Um, sometimes people are too reactive and don't regulate well, and they need external help. Um, and you can't be that person, you know, it's a tough one. All right. Um, that is our show. We got a good one tomorrow. So join us tomorrow. We're going to talk about family bullies and also getting ready for uh, summer where everyone's going to be negatively talking about bodies and diet and gym culture. So we're going to be talking about how to start getting some body positivity, body neutrality going. Um, yeah. You know, focus the rest of your day on some love, pleasure, and self-care, y'all. As always, thanks for hanging out. And you guys enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.